0: and welcome to the register. Our first guest is someone I've known personally for a very long time. He's the CEO and co-founder of Sumo Heavy and a good friend, Bart Moraz. Bart's a serial entrepreneur who has over a decade of business and tech management experience. He's founded several companies. Prior to founding Sumo Heavy, he was a partner in Round Three Media, a creative e-commerce agency. He was also the owner and managing director of Simply Help, an IT firm based in Philadelphia. Bart's also an e-commerce thought leader who's been published in top e-commerce and tech publications like Internet Retailer, Entrepreneur, The Next Web, e-Marketer, and many others. Bart's story is an interesting one. In our talk, we discuss his time growing up in Poland, the challenges of being a child immigrant, his education and early years in tech, and finally with the founding of Sumo Heavy and what's next for the company. So without further delay, here's my interview with Bart enjoy. Since this is the first episode, we thought we'd keep it close to home and interview one of our own. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Bart Moraz. He's the co-founder and CEO of Sumo Heavy, and we're delighted to have him here as our first guest. Welcome, Bart. Hello, John. How are you? Hello. It's good to speak to you. Full disclosure, Bart and I have known each other for a number of years, so I you know this was actually pretty easy to put these questions together. Um, just a few few years. <laughs> just a few years. I met him when he was a small child. But this will be helpful for people who don't know Bart and help them get to know you and let's get started.
1: Let's dive in.
0: All right, so let's dive in and start at the beginning. Uh, where are you from and where do you currently reside?
1: uh originally born in poland came here when i was 12 uh right outside of philly currently in new york well reside in new york currently actually in my parents house but that's
0: another story uh that's what happens when you're uh break your leg so, so you took the phrase break a leg literally uh currently you're laid up at your parents house yeah
1: it's kind of fun parents are awesome but uh i definitely need miss new york right now
0: so you're getting a little stir crazy yeah yeah you can say that Let's talk a little bit about growing up in Poland. What was that like
1: back in uh back in a day, uh, I actually grew up in communism, which was uh fantastic on paper um, you know it's, uh, it's uh, I actually grew up in a big city and and you know it, it, comparably, I pretty much had a good life or was more spoiled than most in, in relative terms. Um, but communism was not fun. I still remember, you know, going to a store with a piece of paper going, Hey, this is how much meat I can get or going your favorite story is standing the, you know, for a bike for a while, because there's three bikes
0: being delivered. That's my favorite story. Waiting in line for a bike when the store, how many people were in that line? I don't even remember. It was a lot the store was getting few bikes in. Um, so there was, I mean, what is it, 20 people, 30 people? They're all in line for this store, and the store only gets three bikes a month or something like that?
1: Yeah. It was pretty funny because I actually talked to my mom yesterday about a whole bunch of stories, which is kind of cool. Um, she still remember standing in for, like, uh, a washer and dryer for, like, three days um, back and forth just to get one. So the, the, the days of, of that was always interesting. Um, you know, this is how much candy you can get. This is how much meat you can get. So it wasn't all bad. I lived in a big city, which was great. Grew up with my grandparents, half my life or beginning of that life. Um, so that was kind of cool.
0: So let's, let's stick with the poll, the the growing up in Poland thing for a second. Do you think that that has taught you anything in, in living in the U S because I know you personally, and I know your work ethic. Um, you think that that kind of formed you those early experiences? Part of it, sure. Um, I
1: think a lot of it, what for me, is actually my parents and my grandparents. You know, My parents came here to the U.S. and had nothing. I mean, there's a week where they had no food. Um, they actually lived in New York for a while. Um, my mom actually just told me a story about how she learned English, which was interesting in itself. But they basically busted their butt just to have what they have now. Um, and my grandparents did the same thing. My grandma basically... You know, she was like, you don't have your parents, so let me push you into everything. Um, so I got into all kinds of different things, between sports and dancing and cultural things um, and cooking and things like that. So I get a lot of that, the work ethic from my parents. Maybe it's the immigrant thing in me, um, but definitely I have it for my parents.
0: Well, it sure sounds like there's a combination of things going on there in that, you, you, you know, you talk about all the things that you were involved in. You know, you have probably more well-rounded childhood than a a lot of kids your age. Plus, you also have the immigrant experience, which I think is a great combination of things that, you know, kind of define your personality.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I came here, I had, you know, five words of English and I got thrown into, you know, a Catholic school for two years and pretty much had an hour of Polish a day and that was it. It was all English nonstop. So I had to work a little harder just to get through it. And, you know, coming to here and not knowing people and you know kids kids are not fun at that age either you know 12 13 years old right. you know, um that's a tricky thing and something new but i just went through it so got my shit together and just went on so you you came here not knowing any english i know five words maybe what were those five words? I don't remember. I mean, it was like basic. Like, it's like learning a language. Like, you know, we actually, so in Poland for a very long time, your second language, you started in fifth grade, was Russian. Um, I was going into fifth grade and they finally changed it because communism fell. So we had English, um, which was a joke. I mean, it's trying to learn another language um, that you're not throwing it into. I came here and I got, you know, throwing it into it. So in six months, I pretty much understood it. I had no choice. Wow, that's that's
0: incredible. Did you know were
1: you learning Russian? No, I didn't so what happens is in fifth grade you have another language. And in Poland at a time it was Russian. It was no if buts about that. You had right. your second language was just Russian. Right. Um so my parents actually do have it and you know, but the summer of me going between fourth grade and fifth, they finally changed it. So whatever the school had or they could like bring whatever the teacher they brought in. So our school had English. The school across the street, which is another school, which was another grade school, which was kind of weird how that would laid out, um, had actually German, not English. So which was kind of awesome for where I live because we only live in half an hour from the German border. So that kind of worked. But for me, you know, we have English.
0: Okay. So you're in America, you're growing up, you're 12, 13 years old. When did, when did the entrepreneur bug hit you? Or, or it sounds to me you're getting a lot of these traits from your parents. Is, is that the case?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's grandparents, it's parents, it's, you know, it's the, it's the hustle that you just kind of go through. My mom, you know, we, at some point when I was young, I think we own like three or four houses on one street because we're flipping them. My grandma was always trying to, you know, save money and do whatever else and work extra stuff. So they both, you know, those, those, both influences always had on me. I get the work ethic from my mom and my dad, but my mom definitely like just hustled just to
0: get where she needed to be. So it sounds like your grandparents were the original house flippers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: My parents were uh, really badly. So at some point we literally had four houses on one street or something like that. It was weird.
0: You saying badly meaning they, they didn't do it well or they had the
1: no. I mean they did great. It's just you know it's I've been working on that since I was like fourteen.
0: That's incredible. Let's talk about you. What was your first business?
1: Probably a paper route, uh, shoveling snow, cutting grass. Actually, cutting grass was first.
0: So um, you did so you did the common growing kid things that the kids do growing up. You didn't have any yeah. kind of crazy. I got paid.
1: I got paid two bucks. Uh, to cut somebody's grass every every uh, every week, which is funny because then I put those $2 in the bank. That was awesome. I used to just take those two bucks and just go to a bank and put them in, which is funny in itself. Um, you, didn't, you didn't spend that $2? No, no, no. They were you not bags. allowed to spend
0: that $2? No, you don't spend that too?
1: stuff. You put it in the bank. That's how it was. In high school, yeah, anything between selling candy to knockoff Oakley's. Remember when Oakley's were a thing? Yeah. Yeah, I used to go to the, uh, used to have the catalog and used to get kids to go. Oh, I want these, and I used to go find them at the, what's it called? What's the one by? Uh, what the thing you go on Fridays? Um, flea markets. I, yeah, flea markets, and just used to find at the dealers that had them. And used to just sell them like for triple the price.
0: Okay. So that was your first hustle selling uh, knockoff Oakley's. Yep. Um, that's pretty good. Yep. Uh, d- was that a successful thing or is it just kind of, it went
1: off for a little bit. Um, then the candy, I mean, candy was easy. Um, they got in- involved in student organizations and you just kind of sold candy for, uh, um, to what's it called to just raise money.
0: Right. So you were the, so you were, you were a candy hustler. That's good. Yep. So moving on from there, you graduate high school. Uh, what happens after that? Going to college.
1: Um, I, uh, I went to Temple. Um, they had a program that I wanted. They had a, a business degree with technical background. Um, and it was a state-funded school. So it was an in so in-state, state-funded school. I stayed home. So it wasn't that expensive. And I pretty much paid for school by myself. So I had to work a lot. <laughs> um, I accidentally had three jobs and full-time school my first semester in college accidentally yeah accidentally um so i worked at you know all through high school i worked at Burger King at retail and all that kind of stuff at some point and then i worked retail and i went to college so i had a retail job at college then i found a job in school and then i worked at a restaurant on the weekends so yeah for about two months i literally had three jobs wow
0: that's yeah. crazy and you had to make time for studies
1: and you had to make time for studies. Absolutely. So that was just
0: nutty. Okay. So your transition, you graduate from college, you graduate from temple. Uh, what happened after that? It, when did you start dipping your toes in the technology business?
1: Kind of actually inside of temple. Um, everybody had their internships. And, uh, I kind of just kind of went, mm, I don't want to go work for a big consulting firm. Like everybody else was going, you know, having typical summer jobs. That's when I met, uh, what am I? Counters suggested Jeff Clawthorne. Um, Jeff had a little tiny company called RFA Bars, uh, and they did a bunch of work for
0: Path in New York for screens and stuff like that. So, uh, pros, so let's take a step back. You worked for RFA Bars. They were, a, they were a design firm or they were a- They're a
1: development design firm, little tiny thing that happened to have a contract with Path.
0: So, because that's the connection where you and I kind of come together. You were connected with Jeff Cawthorn. I was connected with the other partner, John Wilson. And that's kind of how you and I met. So, go ahead, talk about the path experience.
1: So, that was my internship of three years in college and probably one of the craziest internships you could ever have. I didn't catch coffee. I actually built a lot of this stuff with them, doing network work and stuff like that. And it was like, you know, a weekend of nonstop work, non sleep, because you had to put the system down and up by Monday
0: morning when people were. Right. So, so explain what PATH is for those who don't PATH
1: know. is the train, train that goes between Jersey, Hoboken, and, and, uh, and New York City.
0: It's a light, light regional rail, yep. uh, which notably travels to the World Trade Center. So, how, what, were you there during 9 11 or had you already left?
1: No, uh, I was still doing a little bit of work for that, but I was actually had a full-time job. I know exactly where I was. I was working for a, a little tiny company doing remote support, and um, we did security, remote support, intrusion detection for credit unions and banks. And I actually was going to go, and I just didn't, and we were just doing work for one of the credit unions uh, when it happened. Wow. But it was close to home because you know, the pass station was right underneath it. Um, right. That's, that's definitely close to home.
0: You had the internship. You you're, We're working with RFA Bars. When did you start your own thing or, or what was the next step?
1: So I graduated, um, got a job with a small company, the credit union one, and then 9-11 happened. So I got laid off right before holidays, which sucked. Um, then I got to work for a travel company, uh, meeting planning and travel company for a bit. Like in February, um, that job just didn't work for me. It just didn't work out. Um, so I left there and tried to start something then.
0: And that was, uh, I don't remember what year that was. Well, it was early 2000s and you were, you were living in, you were living in Philly, right?
1: Mm-hmm. No, I was still in my parents' house. Um, never moved out just yet.
0: Yeah. So I quit that
1: job, started a consulting firm, and then I got a client that you were working at, at that point. And then they offered me a full time job, so I worked for Innovation Philadelphia for a year.
0: Yeah, so Innovation Philadelphia—that was a pretty interesting uh, scenario there. I was a consultant. You were the—you were doing what was your title there? I was running all the tech. I was director of technology. That was a—that was a interesting organization, but we made a lot of made a lot of uh, connections and relationships there, and uh, it certainly was an interesting point in both of our lives.
1: And you and I met before that at. Uh, at Panama.
0: Uh, through the networking, right. Through Panama, uh, Philadelphia Area New Media Association, which is still in existence. But back back in ye olden days, early 2000s, you know, they'd have these networking functions. You know, you'd get a couple hundred people showing up. And it was yep. it was pretty nice. insane back then.
1: But we got a lot of connection, a lot of our friends and, and, and still around, still working, still have their businesses, um, which is awesome. And we're friends. So just, you know, it kind of worked out that way. So then after that, I basically went, all right, it's time to do my own thing. So I started a consulting firm, uh, jumped off, started doing a whole bunch of different things, tried to do a little web development here and there, uh, went through, a, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Indy Hall happened. It's a co-working space in Philly. It's probably one of the longest community-driven type of co-working spaces. I was one of the first- You were
0: coworkers. involved in the initial founding of
1: that, of Indie Hall? Yeah, I was one of the initial um, members- uh, or founding members of it, um, worked through that in the middle of it, started a web development company and they, uh, that kind of fizzled out at some point. We're running that for a while. And then I had at the same time started a, uh, chef and me, which was a, a dinner event type of thing. So it was a cooking thing at the same time. So a lot of hands and a lot of things at the same time.
0: So the chef and me uh, experience, that was kind of ahead of the curve because that was – I mean that was a few years ago. It's like the
1: original pop-up restaurant thing. uh,
0: That's what I was trying to get to is the original pop-up restaurant concept. And uh, I guess – why do you think that didn't work out or do you think it was just too Uh,
1: late? No, it would have worked out. Uh, My business partner, Jesse, actually moved to New York. Uh, He had an
0: amazing job. Ah, Okay, so Jesse Mm Milton. Okay, so he moved on and you were kind of like, okay – enough of that
1: yeah it's a little hard to run that kind of style there's four of us actually in the company but it was hard to run it if if you know it's a lot of planning a lot of work and it was we did it for fun we actually made a little bit of money on it but we definitely did it for fun while doing other things so it wasn't a full-time gig so it's hard to do and, and pull off by yourself
0: yeah i can't imagine doing something like now doing something like that now just the bandwidth involved to get something like that off the ground would just right. be uh a lot. <laughs> yeah, It was a lot. Okay. So now we're kind of moving into the modern area. Now we're moving into the modern era. Uh, <laughs> you're kind of doing your own thing. Your web development firm kind of went belly up. You're looking for new projects.
1: Uh, um, it wasn't really belly up. My partners started leaving. Uh, we had, there's three of us as partners. One of them left. The other one, we were working on some stuff. Um, Magento came out at the same time. We started doing a project on that. And my other partner wanted to leave uh, to do something different. He just didn't, he wasn't really passionate about this. At the same time, Will Reynolds from ThinkSeer, or Seer Interactive now, introduced me to my current business partner um, in the middle of this, Bob Brady. Uh, He was like, hey, I have a kid. He wants to do some stuff. I don't know. We kind of met up. Um, had a great chat and we started doing a project together and then my
0: partner left. So I had to start a new company and Bob became my business partner. Okay. So you met Bob through, through a connection. You work on a project together. What was that first project? What was that like? And, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, we, uh, we actually were doing a site all magento through our friend, Ian, (laughs) who brought a project and they were designing it. We were developing it. Bob jumped in and did all the development work for it. And the experience is interesting because Magenta just came out not long ago. It was still, it was a big system. People still didn't know about it. It was it was a little tough to deal with, um, but we went through it and, and did it and pulled it off. Um, the site was up, ready to go out there. People were buying stuff through it. I don't even know if that company even exists still.
0: Sure. Um, so, the reason I ask you that is that that's kind of a um a pioneering project for Magento since it was a new platform and you're you're you guys dove in, you know, head first into this. Yeah, it was Bob's experience. I know he was I know at the time he was working doing uh consulting for another another He was
1: working full time still at a company. Then he left that one and did uh work another company full time but also started this because his boss was awesome at that moment. Um, let him do this thing. You know, he's like, oh, let's do it in the side type of thing. And we just kind of did it. At some point, we just went, all right, we have enough and close more clients. Let's just do this full time.
0: So now you've got one client under your belt. What were the early days like? Uh, so you've got one client, one project. What was next after that?
1: Finding more clients. That was, that was toughy. But that's any agency. It's You just keep on going after clients. So I, you know, through my network, just kind of... When figure figured it out through meetings and stuff like that, we started a company and one of our first client was uh Robinson Luggage or Luggage Online, which no longer exists. It's a Wawa now.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, that was one of our first.
0: So then- for, for those who don't know, Robinson luggage had a storefront in Broad Street in Philadelphia. And that was always known whenever there was a riot, people would throw things through their window. Yeah. That's, that was their claim to fame. And now it's now it
1: when, when Philly won the thing, you can look it up.
0: Yeah anytime Philadelphia cars. you want anything, which wasn't very often, but if there was ever a disturbance or a riot in center city, Philadelphia, their store would get vandalized. Now it's a wall. It's a human. Yeah, wall.
1: Cool. And if you don't know what wall is,
0: well, then yeah. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you, why did you guys decide to focus so on e- e-commerce? Was it because of Magento or was it just kind of a serendipitous thing or how did uh, that?
1: Happen? It was all of it. So Magento came out, when I had my old company um, and we did a whole bunch of web development and e-commerce. Um, Bob actually comes from e-commerce world and I wanted to focus on something, not just be like a web design company. You know, e-commerce is such a, it's a niche, but it's a humongous niche. And it's just a lot of work that you have to get in. So we decided to just go after e-commerce and it was just easier to sell. We're like, that's the only thing we do. We don't do any, you know, small sites, blah, blah, blah. We just literally go after e-commerce site and it's, it's, it's sort of all I've never thought I'm going to do this, but it just happens to be jump into it. Bob definitely comes from e-commerce
0: and he loves this stuff. So, so it's in his blood. Yeah. Okay. So the early days, then you get, you know, a few years back, every company has its ups and downs. What was the biggest challenge that the company has faced in the last five years? And how did you guys turn it around? I guess the
1: beginning was hard. So right off the bat, not only got Big, huge clients. Roku, the box, was one of our clients in the beginning. The problem was, you know, it, it's cash flow. We started hiring. Our cash flow just got all over the place. Trying to get clients to pay was was really hard. And you know, missing a payroll at, right before Christmas is is one of the worst things you can ever do. And we have we we've, I've done it, which sucks. But came through that. Um, we started changing how we do business.
0: Uh, I was going to ask him. So prior to that. It was billable hours. Uh, yeah, that uh, was kind of like a wake-up call to kind of change the pricing model, correct?
1: Uh, it was a wake-up ball to figure out how to uh, have clients pay. Because net 30, it just doesn't work. Um, we did hourly. Then we we're like trying to figure stuff out. It was net 30. We didn't get paid. It was, you know, people tried to pay us three months later instead of paying when they supposed to. We delivered the work and it was there. So a lot of that stuff was – and I started looking for how to change it so that we can actually – have a good relationship. It's a win-win for both sides. So we started with doing every two weeks, meaning a client paid us for the next two weeks of work. We started doing that kind of stuff. We, we started with hours. Then we were like, Oh, it's 40 hours for these two weeks. And then we just kind of went from there. What happened with that a lot of times was that clients paid us every two weeks, got a bill every two weeks. And they're eventually they were like, well, just bill me once a month. And we're like, okay, well this is how many hours. And then we're trying to track hours and then make hours made no sense because at some point you just run out of bucket of hours. And that's just, that's just weird. you run out of bucket of hours then you got to charge them. And then you, it's just that it became in that. So eventually we came to the whole retainer world started pretty small and we're like, all right, it's a retainer. It's doing the first of the month that we're working and it's, it's going to be determined, you know, all the work is going to be determined by a you know, client and us and it's going to be a win-win on both sides.
0: All right. So you turn that around, you're in the retainer model. Uh, how, how has growth been the last few years? Uh, crazy. We doubled, uh,
1: we doubled the year. Um, we finally hit the beautiful million mark in sales, uh, last year.
0: That would be 2000, uh, calendar year, 2014 or 2015? 15. 2015, 2015. Yeah. We finally hit that number, um, over
1: the million dollar mark, which is interesting in itself. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's like a, I don't know. I think it's a badge of honor type of thing where you sell that much money. Um, and we've been growing, double every year which is interesting as as our team actually went smaller our biggest team we used to have 25 people we're 16 right now i believe yeah we're about 16 and then uh full-timers actually changed we have six full-time people here in us
0: and that started uh only only as early as two years ago correct yeah it's about two years ago yeah
1: we started going going full-time because it made sense. Uh, it, you know, We were in a position where we can actually, because the retainer models let us do that, where it's just a very steady type of work. And and we were able to do it. What's, what's beauty about retainers is that it's not that you're doing a project or hourly, you really, really get into client's world. Um, and you see every little piece of it. And it's not just like, oh, project, you know, we have one of our biggest clients right now, we've solved problems that we would never be able to touch if you we were just doing a project
0: That's a good segue to the next the next question that I have for you is it seems like you're going for a different type of client now and not just so much let's build a website it's more of the full the full tilt consulting where you're digging into business processes and and um, what are the kind of things are you looking for for an, uh, your so, dream client
1: yeah I mean our dream clients actually we're terrible at building new sites. To be honest, it's, it's kind of weird to say, but we're terrible at it. We're I actually,
0: actually going to rephrase that as we don't prefer to build. <laughs> true.
1: true. <laughs> uh, it's not a tour trouble. We're actually really fucking good at it. It's more of, as per our newest, you know, one of our newest sites, Stadium Goods, freaking amazing. amazing. We're just really good at being consultants, meaning we can walk into a client and figure out what the problems they have, how we can make them better, and how, how much efficiency we can put into them. Um, meaning from business process to technology process. You know, Usually we start with technology people call us for, we have a problem with our magenta site or whatever that is. And once we walk in there, we look at every piece of the business and how efficient can it be and just chip away at it and we make the team internally better. We make the client better, you know, more revenue. Um, we don't only look at how much money we can bring up front, how much money we can actually save them on the back end. So it's both sides.
0: Right. So what that sounds like is that you, once you get a client like that and and they see all the services that Sumo can provide, they tend to be a longer term client. Is that correct?
1: And, and, and having longer term client is really nice for obviously for us as, as, as you know, employers and we have an employees, but it's also nice because we can get in there and, and really, really work our magic on every piece of
0: piece of the business. Awesome. So as the CEO of the company, you're also the lead sales guy. What's the biggest challenge? I mean, talking about your, your dream client, what's the biggest challenge this year and the coming year of closing new sales? Sales. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, I, in the point that uh, obviously the financial arena is different than it was in 2008, but your money's still tight everywhere. Like, what what are your challenges? Like, if you if you want your dream client, you know, what are what, what, what are the roadblocks you're facing?
1: Um, it's uh, because we don't do just project work um going after projects you know we could do those kind of things but because we do a long term consulting it's a longer term process to sell somebody for us at least which is okay uh we get called what kinds of things all the time it's just sometimes it just makes no sense for us to to do good work for a client so that's really our our challenges are it's a long term sales cycle, cycle it's always going to be that uh, because it's it's not you know I'm not selling a widget I'm selling a big huge consulting contract
0: so if if gi- if given the choice, and someone said, you know, in and out project six months, you'd you'd probably
1: we look at them, them because we have a few of those. And it's funny because those kind of things turn into long term project, right? We have one client right now that hasn't launched, and that project's supposed to be six months. It's been a year. Because what happens with that thing, once we, you know, it, it's a typical client, they're like, oh, we've worked with other people, blah, blah, blah. We walk in and we're like, let's build it really quickly and do all this stuff. And the client wants to re-platform. So they're like, oh, these guys build really quickly. We know what we're paying for. And if it changes, it's always the same amount. Let's add more things to it. We can afford it, you know?
0: So I, that that brings me to another question. Does Sumo we'll get a lot of business from development from other firms? Yes.
1: <laughs> um, it's our bread and butter. Um, we actually love those kind of things. Um, you know, I, I always say it's like, oh, it's better, you know, let's be better, you know, 1% better than the last guy, but we're definitely yeah. just different.
0: Um, we've done rescue jobs, a lot of them. So that's what you'd call that. You'd, you'd say a lot of a per, good percentage of business and leads comes from what you would call a rescue project. Yep.
1: Yep. Bad implementations, the site is not running well, all those kind of things. And you just kind of walk in and start shipping away. And it's not always that the development is bad or the code is really bad. It's just understanding e-commerce completely. Um, a lot of companies jumped into Magento because it was open source. Oh, we can just build and technology stuff and development world. But you have to understand the business itself. E-commerce is not easy. It's very complex at every level, even if you're a small shop. So you have to understand every piece of it.
0: So let's talk about um, complexity. How, how do you think it's different than it was even two years ago? Uh, the level of complexity is is, is increased. Do you, what do you think are, are a lot of the customers... As savvy, or do you find it's the same level and they're trying to do more with less resources? or
1: Clients are getting savvier and savvier, and things are getting less complex from a technology's perspective. It's getting more, less complex and more complex at the same time. Rules are going to be the same, you know, shipping rules or, or uh, payment rules and things like that. Are, you know they don't change too much but they're complex enough to, to do that technology changes all the time so it's faster things you know but a lot more people are going towards um online stores um, you look at you know macy's is closing a whole bunch of stores um he's right. in trouble like all those kind of guys are, are starting to uh, but if you look at the online world it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger nice. you know
0: which is great for us very interesting good answer so we're running on almost 30 minutes here. So we're going to wrap this up. Um, what's next for Sumo in the next year, five years, 10 years? What's your, what's your 50 year plan? <laughs> 50 what's year five year plan. What's your six month plan?
1: What are you doing uh, tomorrow? What are you having for lunch? What am I doing Tomorrow? Nothing. Um, there's that five, 10 years, five years. I don't know. We're going to grow the consulting firm. Um, we have some side projects that we're working on as it is when you get a little antsy sometimes. <laughs> um right. Definitely have some side projects that are going on in the company itself, where they're exciting. Uh, some of them are in e-commerce space. Um, some of them totally not, totally different things that we want to do. I just want to grow the company to to be sustainable and and have the life everybody wants in the company. Um, and that's not really by headcount either; it's by what feels right to us at that
0: moment. So one thing I did not touch on is uh, company culture. You made a good point there is, is give everybody the life that they want. You know, how is your culture different than, than a typical development firm?
1: I think it, the culture comes from mostly Bob, myself, and, and you. Um, it's a company we always wanted to build. You, know, you always have your issues because it's personnel and it's people. But we definitely are at a point where you know, we like to do a lot of work but also have fun. Um, I'm not as strict. I sometimes I should be, I guess, you know, vacation time for us. It's, it's, you know, I have basic rules of get your stuff done for clients. Clients come first and then you can take time off or travel or do whatever you want, but also making sure they're taken care of. That's really, because at the end of the day, you know, clients pay our bills, right? So clients are first, but we don't, we don't look down on having site work and site projects
0: and whatever else, but our clients come first. Excellent. Well, this has been a very informative interview. I hope, I hope the people out there learned a lot. Uh, I've known Bart a number of years and even just talking to him today, I've learned a few more, a few more things about him. Bart, any, any closing comments or pearls of wisdom you'd like to give the audience?
1: Ah, oh, just do what you want
0: to do. <laughs> do what you love. <laughs> love. i focusing on dumb shit. I was looking for like a Gary Vee. Come on. Um, I guess
1: chase, chase what you want to do in life. That's kind of how I look at it. Just go get it.
0: Oh, Excellent. It's okay. a good words of wisdom. <laughs> okay, and if anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Twitter, Facebook, uh, email.
1: Uh, Twitter is Bart Moraz. Facebook, same thing. You can pretty much find me. It's easy.
0: All right. Well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, thank you for being the first guest on what I hope to be a very long and prosperous podcast. <laughs> and we'll, you know what? We'll check back with you uh, in six months and in do another interview oh you'll see me on this thing oh too, you'll though. see oh you'll, oh, see. you'll see me <laughs> <laughs> all right Alrighty, then. that'll that'll wrap it up That's thanks everybody up. for joining us and until the next time this is the register my name is john Souter. Uh, and have a great day Bye.